Hey guys, it's so great to be here with you tonight in the Moran's living room is where I'm at. Maybe you're in your living room, maybe in your house, your, your dorm room, maybe you're in a car. Please be careful if you're driving right now. I'd recommend maybe, maybe just following up. This will be on IGTV later. Um, but it's so good to be here with you guys tonight. Thanks for tuning in each week for those of you who have been doing that faithfully. Um, for any of you that are tuning in for your first time, uh, thank you so much for just taking an interest in us. And uh, we're so excited to bring you the word of God tonight. Um, and so we are currently in a series on the book of 1 Corinthians. That series is called Reframed. There's probably a nice graphic right there. Boom, got it. And in this series, we're looking at many of the mistakes and uh, many of the issues that needed to be addressed um, to the Corinthian church. And see, the issue was they were framing their life around their culture and around the world. And instead, they needed to reframe their life around the gospel of Christ. And what we will see is as we continue to make our way through this series in the book of 1 Corinthians is that many of the issues and the topics that Paul is addressing to the church in Corinth are still important and relevant topics and issues that we face today. And so tonight we're going to talk about a truth that the Corinthians failed to understand. And it was a truth that they did not want to hear and one that would challenge their worldview greatly. As a people who had become accustomed to valuing pleasure, comfort, and wealth. Wait a minute, that kind of sounds like our culture too. Oh, Anyways, they failed to live out this truth that should have been obvious from the life and the teachings of Jesus. And there's several reasons for why they probably failed to live this truth out. Again, one of them was because they were so greatly influenced by the culture around them, a culture that was uh, antithetical to their faith, a culture that was very harsh to live in, a one that was very trying, and a one that was very attractive to them nonetheless. And it's also probably because of their pride. And so the hard truth that these Corinthians needed to hear from Paul, the same hard truth that you and I need to be reminded of tonight, is that there will be times where following Jesus makes your life harder. And who better to give this message than Paul? A man who had given up so much, a man who had persecuted Christians and was completely against the church and then radically met Jesus and had his life forever changed. And, and by many, many examples and, and many perspectives, it looked like Paul had thrown everything away for Jesus. And that's because he did. And so as this man encounters tremendous difficulties as he follows Christ, he has a message for the Corinthian church and a message that we're going to look at here tonight. So let's see what he has to say. Turn with me, if you have your Bibles, to 1 Corinthians chapter 4. I'd encourage you to, to get, a, get a Bible if you don't have one. Um, it's, it's great to follow along with an actual book. Uh, you can make notes in it. You can highlight. It's so much better than the Bible app. That's cool, too. I've used it plenty of times, but there's less distractions. Your Bible's not going to give you any notifications like your phone will, unless they're notifications from the Holy Spirit, which those are the good types of notifications. So... All right, let's look at the first few verses here. Writing in chapter 4, Paul says, This then is how you ought to regard us, as servants of Christ and as those entrusted with the mysteries God has revealed. Now it is required that those who have been given a trust must prove faithful. I care very little if I am judged by you or any human court. Indeed, I don't even judge myself. 
My conscience is clear, but that does not make me innocent. It is the Lord who judges me. Therefore, judge nothing before the appointed time. Wait until the Lord comes. He will bring to light what is hidden in the darkness and expose the motives of the heart. At that time, each will receive their praise from God. Now, brothers and sisters, I have applied these things to myself and Apollos for your benefit so that you may learn from us the meaning of the saying, do not go beyond what is written. Then you will not be puffed up in being a follower of one of us over against the other. We'll pause there for a minute. All right, so what's going on here? Well, as Josh mentioned last week, there is quarreling, there's bickering, and there's division within the Corinthian church. And a lot of that is because of their ego and their pride and they're comparing uh, different things that they've been given from God against one another and trying to uh, just prove that they're better than their brothers and sisters. But um, another thing that they're doing is they're also um, arguing over who has influenced them and who they're following. Some say that they're, following, that they're following Paul. Others say that they're following Peter. And still some others are saying that they're followers of Apollos. And while these three men were important in, in helping to lead and instruct the church here in Corinth, what would be crucial, again, as Josh mentioned last week, to achieving unity would be keeping the focus on Jesus Christ. And so now some of the Corinthians have started judging Paul and some of the other apostles as well. And quite frankly, it's really sad because Paul is the very man who planted this church in Corinth. He started this church and he stayed here for some time before continuing on in his missionary journey to start churches and other places. But now he's hearing reports of division, of immorality, and of judgment against fellow brothers and sisters. And you see, the issue here is rooted in both their pride and in their misunderstanding of the gospel of grace. They start to take issue with Paul because he's experiencing difficulties and persecutions while following Christ. And so the Corinthians think that he must be doing something wrong. Surely it was Paul to blame for the difficulties that he's facing. And since the Corinthians have been pretty well off and comfortable, according to their theology, they, they must be doing something right. They foolishly think that the grace they have received is something that they have deserved or earned. And in their theology, they have forgotten that following Jesus often makes your life harder. So they become puffed up in their pride and they begin to look down upon the man who has done so much for them. But I love what Paul has to say here. He says, I care very little if I'm judged by you or any human court. Indeed, I do not even judge myself. My conscience is clear, but that doesn't make me innocent. It is the Lord who judges me. In other words, only God can judge me. He's the one who, ex who exposes the motives of the heart and brings what is hidden in darkness into the light. Paul's not concerned with their opinion or their judgment of himself because he doesn't have any issues or insecurities with his identity, and he's not worried about his own pride. He knows his identity and value is settled at the cross. But the Corinthians, on the other hand, they're in need of a lesson on humility. And in fact, I believe that most, if not all, of the problems they faced uh, as a church were rooted in their pride. And so Paul's going to address that here. And he addresses this in three rhetorical questions, looking at verse 7. He says, For who makes you different from anyone else? What do you have that you did not receive? And if you did receive it, 
Why do you boast as though you had not? Let's look at these, let's look at these three questions here. For who makes you different from anyone else? Paul's, Paul's in, implying here there's no reason to exalt yourselves over one another because any difference among them is attributed to God. They had different gifts of the spirit that they were operating in in this church, and, and foolishly they started thinking that certain gifts were better than the other. And, and Paul says, well, is it not God who gave you these things? You didn't do anything to deserve them. You haven't earned them. It's by his grace. And every, any difference among you doesn't make you special. It's, it's just because of what God has done in you. Second question he says is, what do you have that you did not receive? All that they have has been given to them by the grace of God. It's neither earned nor deserved. And instead of feeling entitled, they should feel grateful to God for what he's done. Because it's not about anything that they themselves have done. If you did receive it, why do you boast as though you did not? Again, all that they're boasting about, everything that they're taking pride in, has been taking abuse of the grace that God has given them. And they should be tremendously grateful but instead they've become boastful, they've become judgmental, they've become selfish and self-sufficient. And their mistake here is simple. They've misunderstood the gospel of grace. God has blessed them tremendously. He's given them so much to be thankful for. But instead of being grateful and generous with what he's given them, they've mistakenly believed that they're receiving what they deserve. And now the problem with this type of thinking is that when they look at Paul and the other apostles and they see the way that they're living and the difficulties that they are going through, they mistakenly believe themselves to be better than the apostles, or at least better than Paul. At some point, the Corinthians have forgotten that hardship and suffering are a normal part of the Christian life. And so Paul's going to get real with them. And he's speaking tongue-in-cheek here in these next few verses, if you will. He's going to sort of mock them and rebuke them in a sarcastic way. And he's going to bring them back down to earth by reminding them of the true nature of following Jesus. Picking up in verse 8. Already you have all you want. Again, he's, he's speaking sarcastically here. Already you have become rich. You have begun to reign, and that without us. How I wish that you really had begun to reign so that we also might reign with you. For it seems to me that God has put us apostles on display at the end of the procession, like those condemned to die in the arena. We have been made a spectacle to the whole universe, to angels as well as to human beings. We are fools for Christ, but you are so wise in Christ. We are weak, but you are so strong. You are honored we are dishonored. So Paul, speaking in this way, sarcastically, is describing the error the Corinthians have been making here. And there's a theological point to, point to, to, to make here as well about the kingdom of God. And that point is that the kingdom of God is now and not yet. You know, he's, he's talking about ruling and reigning. And so what he's referring to is the kingdom of God. And he's not just talking about a, physically, a physical place, but rather he's talking about the kingdom of God is referring to God's reign and his authority. And so God's kingdom, his reign, his authority is a powerfully present and active reality in this world, but it's not expressed fully yet. 
You see, when Christ returns, he will bring forth his kingdom in the fullness of his power and glory. And the reign of his kingdom will have no end and we will reign with him. Hallelujah. So Paul is calling out the Corinthians because they're making the error of living as if they've already arrived. They're living up the Corinthian dream and and they're believing that they could experience all of heaven now without anything to hold them back. No more pain, no difficulties, no suffering. But this is completely untrue. And in this belief, they did not have room in their theology for the hardships and the difficulties that Paul and the other apostles faced. They couldn't make sense of their suffering. The apostles seemed weak and and needy. Surely they must be doing something wrong because we're living it up right now here in Corinth and we have everything we need. Or so they thought. Their own pride has blinded them. And thinking the best had already come and that they'd fully arrived, they forgot that the king of heaven traded his crown for a cross. God traded his glorious throne to walk in this fallen and hostile world to save us from our sin and to teach us about discipleship. And my friends, if discipleship costs Jesus his life, it's going to cost you something too. It may cost you financially because we're called to be generous with what God gives us. And so that means that as you give to your local church and as you give to missions, you're going to have less income to spend on other things that you'd like. For some of you, it might cost more, uh, especially financially, if God were to call you to ministry for your vocation. Uh, Because you'll make considerably less in ministry than you will in the marketplace. Uh, While I was in my first year of ministry in Charlottesville, Julia was still in the marketplace working at Chick-fil-A, bringing home chicken all the time. It was great. And we were making more money back then. Um, But then throughout that year, the Lord began to put ministry on Julia's heart. And um, since then, we've made less money than what we would have if she stayed in the marketplace or if I went into the marketplace. But I am so thankful that we did not let financial insecurity keep us from following where God was leading us. It'll cost you your comfort at times because you'll have to say no to your flesh in order to be obedient to God. And that, my friends, as Josh often says, is tough. It might cost you something socially because people at times may criticize you or look down upon you because of your faith. Uh, Julia and I have a family member who's not walking with the Lord, uh, and they told us that, that we were throwing our lives away to be campus ministers. And that was hard to hear, but there was no ounce of truth in that statement. Following Jesus will make your life harder at times. And this is going to happen to each of you in various ways and in varying degrees. But the truth is, is that none of you will escape this truth. It's going to cost you something to follow Jesus. But will you be ready and will you be willing to pay that cost? Paul says that God has put he and the other apostles on display at the end of the procession, like those condemned to die in the arena. And so what he's talking about here is is back in these times when the Romans would would have a a significant military victory, what they would do is the general and the Roman soldiers, they would march through the city um, victorious and have a parade. And it was a time of celebration. Everyone in the city um, would gather around. But in that procession, the soldiers that were captured of the uh, defeated army, 
they would be executed along the way. Those that weren't executed on the way were executed at the end. Some of them just there in the parade, laters in the arena. And so Paul is placing himself right here with these captives, telling the Corinthians in a sense that God is leading him and the apostles to their very deaths. This is the part of the gospel message that we often choose to forget. Whether we mean to or not, we often forget that the true nature of discipleship, the true nature of following Jesus, comes by way of the cross. And Jesus told his disciples, and this is recorded in the Gospel of Matthew, whoever wants to be my disciple must deny themselves and take up their cross and follow me. For whoever wants to save their life will lose it, but whoever loses their life for me will find it. Okay, wait, 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 hold, hold on a minute. I thought Jesus died on the cross uh, so that we wouldn't have to. Uh, didn't he die on the cross because only he could die for our sins and, and atone for us because we couldn't save for ourselves? Why, why do we have to take up a cross, Jesus? And while it's true that only Jesus could forgive our sins and, and pay the debt uh, that we owe by his death on a cross, he invites us to follow the example he sets in sacrificial love, in absolute obedience and faithful surrender to the will of the Father. If we were to follow Jesus at all of his word, it's going to cost us something. How often we desire to share in, in the glory and the good things of Christ, but not to share in his sufferings. And we cannot be afraid of suffering for Christ. The church in Corinth, the, to hear this would have made would have just been absolutely terrifying them, to them. To think that they would have to suffer, that they would be inconvenienced for God was something that was not crossing their minds. But we must be reminded that this is an expectation for us. And our faith can't be contingent upon our feelings or our circumstances. And Paul is such a great example for us to look at. And let's look at the next few verses here as Paul begins to elaborate more specifically on some of the hardships that he and the apostles are facing. Looking in verse 11, Paul says, To this very hour we go hungry and thirsty. We are in rags. We are brutally treated. We are homeless. We work hard with our hands. When we are cursed, we bless. When we are persecuted, we endure it. When we are slandered, we answer kindly. We have become the scum of the earth, the garbage of the world, right up to this moment. This would have been tough for the Corinthians to hear, and it's tough for us to hear too, because if we're honest, and it's hard to admit this, we are so much more like the Corinthians than we are the apostles most of the time. And it's, it's, it's quite nice to be comfortable, honestly. It's great to have more than enough money, more than enough food. The suffering isn't very enjoyable in the moment. I think it's even instinctual for us to avoid suffering at all costs. But if we're going to follow Jesus in the way he calls us to follow him, we must be prepared for it to cost us something. We must understand that suffering is an inevitable part of life, and it's, and it's often through our suffering that God teaches us some of the most valuable lessons. In my own life, I learned how to deal with bitterness and practice forgiveness when my parents had a rough divorce. And, and the man who had, who had 
step into the picture and become my stepdad was someone that I wanted nothing to do with at the very beginning, was very bitter and, 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 and just aggressive and mean towards, but God taught me how to love him, taught me how to forgive him. Um, and a few years later, as he was a part of our family, he gave his life to the Lord. And it's just cool to see what God has done there. In high school, I didn't even come to know Jesus personally as my Savior until I went through a season of depression that I struggled in. At times, I felt empty, upset, and worthless, and I struggled with this for many months. But a dear friend of mine introduced me to Jesus, and everything began to change. And there have still been hard seasons after giving my life to Christ. Maybe you can relate to me in that. I went through a hard and unexpected breakup in my second year of college that left me heartbroken. But in that time, I learned how to find healing in Jesus, and I found the joy of spending extravagant time with him. And God used that year of heartache to grow me significantly in my faith, my faith and my trust in him. Oh, and that relationship was later reconciled, and that woman who dumped me is now my wife. So that's pretty cool, too. Uh, but more on that story at a, at a later time, another day. So through the apostles' sufferings, they've learned how to endure. They've learned how to bless and how to forgive. They've learned that God is good and worthy of their lives, regardless of the circumstances they face. They've become the scum of the earth, the garbage of the world, and to them, it is absolutely worth it. How do we know it's, it's worth it? Well, let's, let's look at what Paul says next. We're jumping ahead to verse 16. Paul says, Therefore, I urge you to imitate me. For this reason, I have sent to you Timothy, my son, whom I love, who is faithful in the Lord. He will remind you of my way of life in Christ Jesus, which agrees with what I teach everywhere in every church. There's no bitterness here in Paul's heart. He's faithful to Jesus, and he appeals to the Corinthians to imitate him and his way of life in Christ Jesus. And that same appeal is made for us, that we would imitate him, that we would faithfully serve Christ while knowing he will at time make our lives harder, that we will follow him even when the journey becomes difficult and costly that we would live a life of radical obedience and surrender to the will of God to where we could be like Paul and tell others to imitate us. Follow me as I follow Christ. So the last question to address is how to do this. How do we avoid becoming inundated with the culture around us? In a culture that is, that is, is antithetical to faith, how do we keep our eyes on Jesus? How do we stay above our circumstances? How do we stay humble when things are going well so as not to become overly prideful or self-righteous? How do we face trials and pain and hardship without becoming bitter or giving up? How do we have faith that is greater than our feelings and our circumstances? And the simple answer is to keep your eyes on Jesus. I think Jesus says it best. In John chapter 16, Jesus told his disciples, I have told you these things so that in me you may have peace. In this world you will have trouble. But take heart, I have overcome the world. He tells the disciples, you will have troubles. It is 100% a guarantee. It will happen. 
And as followers of Christ in a world that is still quite hostile and broken, we should expect the very same. But we can take heart because Christ has overcome the world. A practical step in keeping our eyes on Jesus is to remember his death, burial, and resurrection. Because our faith is not only in what Jesus said, but also in what he did. He's not a mere teacher or philosopher, but he's the all-powerful son of God who conquered the grave. Remembering his death on the cross reminds us that we are sinners in need of saving, and he's paid the price for our sin. Remembering his burial reminds us that our day too will come where this life will end. Our wealth, health, and comfort won't matter anymore. And we won't be able to take anything from this world with us. It also reminds us that God is patient. He didn't have to wait in that grave three days. He could have rose again right there, but he chose not to. He's patient. Remembering his resurrection reminds us that he has conquered death, and there is life to come after this one for every believer in Christ. Paul writes in his his second letter to the Corinthians, For our light and momentary troubles are achieving for us an eternal glory that far outweighs them all. He'd later tell the church in Rome that our present sufferings are not worth comparing with the glory that will be revealed in us. The resurrection reminds us of the glory to come. The best is yet ahead. Rachel, if you would come up and play a little music. As we begin to close, I just want to invite you guys to ponder this question. Whether you're experiencing any suffering right now or not, I think this exercise and thinking about this question will be helpful to you. As we keep our eyes on Jesus, we must remember his death, burial, and resurrection. We must remember the things he said, but we also must remember the many things that he did. In all three aspects, death, burial, and resurrection are important to remember. But I think that during different seasons in our lives, you may need to hold more closely to one of these three things. So my question for you guys to think about over the next few minutes, Rachel's going to play and I'm going to leave and going to give you some space to just think about this as she sings. But my question for you is which of these three things do you need to reflect on right now? Maybe you need to reflect upon Jesus's death on the cross and spend some time in confession and repentance. Maybe you need to spend some time thinking about his burial and and thinking about the way you're living your life right now. Are you making the most of your life right now? And what are you living for? Maybe you need to spend some time thinking about the resurrection. Jesus is victorious over sin and the grave. Is there something right now that has you feeling defeated? Will you trust Jesus for victory over whatever it is that you're struggling with? And even if that victory doesn't come in this life, will you trust him that your present suffering can't compare to what is waiting for you in the next life? So let's just take a couple moments to reflect on these things. I encourage you to take the rest of the week to reflect on these things. But just for a moment here, dwell upon these things, spend some time with the Lord, and I'll come back and close us in prayer.